Okay, very good. All right, uh, have a seat. And there's a packet back there. If you haven't gotten a packet already, grab one off the back table. And danishes and orange juice and coffee. Hopefully you've all seen that. Um, it's going to be a wild ride. I'm being pressured to be done by 11. I won't say by whom, uh, but I'll do my best. I said it is Easter tomorrow and we have plans for today. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's never a good excuse to try to rush along something important, you know, but... <laughs> Apparently, some think that's Easter. <laughs> All right. So, uh, you good, Andy? We, we have uh, these mics up because we're trying to figure out a better way to record things. We've tried two different ways now, and it's recorded, but it's been painful to listen to. Uh, the last one wasn't as bad as the first one. This, uh, Andy's put his brain on it, and I think we... Uh, we should be able to pick up uh, people who are talking when they should be listening, and we should also pick up the rest of us. No, just kidding. Uh, let's begin by praying, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, day, the, uh, the things we can discuss. We, we want to honor you in life. We want to honor you in our work and in uh, any pursuits that we may uh, apply ourselves to. I pray that that you would be uh, the most important person in our lives and that we would submit to you and according and live according to your law in Jesus name amen so if you have this in front of you uh i i kind of called this creating uh, a company and growing a company and i tried to come up with an analogy that made some sense cuz i had just like gobs and gobs of notes and they were all like all over the place and I, I had it in the form of an outline but it didn't represent an outline so the analogy it came up with was uh, one of having a baby right and uh, there's phases I think that kind of apply to business the first one if you look in bold there it says I think I might be pregnant Okay, that's when you think maybe I really want to do something like this and then the second one is I'm, I am going to have a baby and then my baby's born, but I'm still nursing it and changing diapers. And then the kid growing up in my house has a mind of his own. And then the last one is he's no longer dependent, but on his own. And, and I think uh, some of my outline notes might seem like they're misplaced with that uh, analogy at times, but that's okay, bear with it. It's, it's still pretty imperfect. Uh, so I think a lot of times a business gets going when... Um, you really like doing something, you're good at something, you think others might like it too, and maybe I can, I can turn this into something. Maybe, maybe there's a business in it for me, right? And uh, I think that's a pretty natural uh, way for, uh, maybe it's the way every business or company started. Or, or you're really just so good at something, you know, it's not even a, a something you love, but you're so good at something, people are always asking you to do it for them, right? Um, can you put in my air conditioning unit? I think Andy was, you know, you know, working on, on, on that angle for, for a bit. Maybe he still is, if anyone's interested in having air condition add, added to your house. But, um, uh, or, um, or, or, or you love something so much you wonder if you could just do it as a business. Wouldn't life be great if, if the thing I really love was the thing I could make money on, right? 
And I think years ago, when Calvin was, was younger, he really, if I'm misspeaking, let me know, but he really liked video games, and he thought, boy, if this would be a way to make money. And, and I, I remember as a kid, I loved football cards and baseball cards. I wouldn't have dreamed you could make a business out of it, right, which is now going on apparently downtown Waupon. And I, I don't know how pro, uh, prosperous, of, uh, profitable a business it is, but, you know, sometimes... You can turn it into something. But mostly it starts out um, like this, where you get uh, kids growing up and they think, uh, let's make some money today, you know. Let's, let's have a lemonade stand and sell lemonade. And uh, this is an example. I, and I love when kids do this, when they have lemonade stands. It makes my heart glad because uh, I really want to encourage that entrepreneurial spirit in them. And you can tell the difference when you're, when you're doing the uh, lemonade stands because some kids, they think a lemonade stand is like the powdered mix you pour into water and stir up. That's terrible. But people are still going to buy it, sympathy purchases or whatever, right? Um, and then you get, you get the ones that go, you know, frozen concentrate. I'm going to get it out of the freezer. I'm going to mix it with the water. It's going to have some real lemonade taste. And it does. It's pretty good. And then there's some that say, well, that's not Good enough. I need to squeeze the lemons, right? How did Atticus go about it? Did he squeeze the he lemons? Squeeze the lemons. Yeah, and he did it all himself too. Okay, <laughs> he did it all himself. So I mean, I give him a lot of credit, and um, I, uh, I, you can see uh, Ezra there is probably his first customer or helper or whatever that turned out to be. But um, you're still you're still operating in a little bit of a uh, make believe. Because when I was a kid, if we put a lemonade stand in, it meant I got the stuff out of mom and dad's pantry and refrigerator. It wasn't something I went out and bought, right? So I wasn't learning some lessons I, I should have been learning about uh, uh, purchasing supplies and, you know, having expenses that I needed to pay back or recoup and, and make a profit on. Um, but it's still, the lemonade stand is still kind of... Uh, Great for the entrepreneurial kid. When, when Zach was little, okay, in order to get this business thing, I, I had been reading and listening to a lot of business books, sales books, etc. cetera, um, and he was little. And we went to, uh, I worked for Best Lock Company. You know, I was a salesman. But he went to, uh, we went to Sam's Club. And I don't know how this started, but I thought, you know what? We should have Zach's snacks, okay? So, we got this box, and I re- remember seeing these at different places, but a box when we went to Sam's Club, bought a bunch of candy bars and what else, chips and things like this, bulk price, you know, from Sam's, put them in there, put a sign on there, Zach Snacks and the price, and I brought it to the office with me, and I'd set it out at the office, and it was Zach's Snacks. And so uh, people uh, bought... Um, a candy bar when they wanted to, or chips or pretzels when they wanted to, and uh, he charged, we had to do a markup, right? I don't know if it was double the price that we paid, or if you remember any of those details at all, but, uh, you know, and he, he paid for the candy bars then, and the expense of probably the box or whatever that we did. He didn't really pay me for my time of bringing it in and bringing it back and so on, but I, I built the uh, 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 homeschool co-op class around that very idea, when we talk about starting a business, I did this, and we, they all had to have their own Zach's Snacks things. And I, and I, and I began the, that uh, class with, okay, here's what's going to happen. 
I bought you each a box. You owe me for your box, okay? So it was a little bit of a loan situation or whatever. You owe me for your box, whatever it was, 12 bucks. And I'm going to give you some seed money, because they were homeschool co-op kids, of 25 bucks each group. And I had them broken in groups of three. You can chime in on this one maybe, Calvin, because you're part of it. But then they could decide what they could go buy, put in their box, advertise their box, try to sell to whomever they wanted to sell to, and they had to do markups on the product. They had to decide, you know, we've got to pay back, you know, for sell, for the box. We've got to pay him back the loan he gave us, right? But beyond that, they could profit. And I think, I think every one of them ended up profiting in the end, and the money then went, I think, to help the co-op at the time. It wasn't a, a money um, maker for their own pockets. But it was good. You got to talk about some of these different principles of, of business. But when you got the lemonade stand, what kids don't quite learn is that uh, lemons don't grow on trees. Oh, I guess they do grow on trees. But just like money doesn't grow on a tree, right? But business principles can still be learned uh, in the lemonade stand. Um, so it brings us kind of back to the the idea of starting your own company. If you think you, you might be pregnant, what kind of company would it be? Okay, I think that the first question you have to ask is what can I sell? What can I sell? Because that's what's going to make a company. What can you sell? If you've got nothing to sell or if you don't like the idea of selling something, then go work for somebody because you're not, you're not set up to be, be a company or to start a company. And, and sometimes that idea of, of sales is like a nasty idea to people. But they've got nasty impressions in their mind of what a salesperson is. They immediately go to the car salesman type, type image, which nobody wants that image. But um, what, what can you sell? And a lot of times that's based upon, you know, what do you know? Are you really, really good at something? Or do you really, really have some connections, you know, and... and and there's a, I'll get to that in a bit, but there's, a, there's some books that say, you know, you get like E-Myth, the E-Myth by Michael Gerber. He, he kind of got, uh, introduced the idea to me that there are people who know something, they know it well, they're like an expert in their field maybe, and then they want to start a business, but they're not business people. So they've got all these things they have to learn, all these things they have to do that they've never done in the past. They've got to wear many hats. And, and they're the only ones, likely, until they hire people to take some of the hats that they learned to wear and start wearing those hats. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, but for some people, and I think this is where I stand, um, it's not about being an expert in the field, although you have to know something. I really just like the idea of building and creating a business. I love talking about people when they've got their little business opportunities. That really trips my trigger. I, I, uh, it's not like I'm some great security solutions expert. I'm not. I can't do what technicians can do in the field when it comes to video cameras, door installation, electronic access, any of that stuff. If it depends on me, if they all quit tomorrow, we're selling the company or something. Because <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Andy Nigren, I mean, the fact that he, he came into this church, he was a godsend, came into this church and... Um, had this, this, uh, these skills that he was using in the company 
uh, uh, for access control, that's electronic access, like when you, you put a card next to a reader and the door unlocks or, or swipe a card or, or punch in a keypad, whatever. He was doing that same work for accurate controls in Ripon. And he came to our church as because we were kind of family integrated, where kids wouldn't be leaving for worship and this kind of stuff. They would stay in worship. And he came here, and, you know, he kind of got like, I got this business. What, what are you doing? And he was interested. We talked. And so we started having him moonlight for us, you know. At, and it, it got to a point, I think we get to that a little bit later, where uh, he couldn't just moonlight anymore. We needed to take another business step. But we'll, we'll get back to where I was here. Uh, Tom, on the other hand, Tom Ripp, uh, not to call you out, is an expert in the field of locksmithing. I mean, he's an expert. And so uh, whether you, you started your business right away, Tom, or it's just something you got into because of what you knew and grew, uh, but Tom can answer about any question, lock manufacturer-wise, and how to, do, how to do installation, rekey, anything. Anything we have is as, a, as a need of GAPA Security Solutions that we don't know what to do with it, but one of our customers wants something, we call Tom. And Tom does it for us. We, you know, pay him. We charge our customer. And those are freakish scenarios. But Tom's got a freaky mind. I mean, he knows how to... <laughs> no, he's got a mind that knows all this stuff. So he's an expert in the field. I'm not that guy. I'm not the expert in the field. I, I like sales. I love the idea of businesses. I want to start many more and... My wife will have nothing to do with it. <laughs> so when she passes, um, if, if I, <laughs> uh, I think you'll be a sole proprietor. You're in so much trouble. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, um, so, but the idea of okay, you're a barber, you're the best barber in, in the world, you know, or like in the in the community, and you work for somebody, and you think, why don't I take this on my own? Why am I not going to be a barber? That makes sense. But guess what? Surprise. There's a lot of business things you're going to have to learn, Mr. Barber. It's not just your skills of being a great haircutter that matter. You're going to have to figure a whole ton of things out. You're going to have to um, do some sales and marketing. They're not going to just show up, what, in your kitchen? Is that where you're going to cut your hair, or are you going to need to rent some space? Oh, that's something else you need to consider now. What about the supplier who's going to provide you with your hair products, right? You want a little product in your hair today? Yeah, go ahead. Put that gunky stuff in my hair, right? But this is the kind of stuff that you didn't have to think about when you just worked for somebody. They did it all. Well, guess what? Um, You're going to have to be the custodian uh, cleaning up your own little uh, workshop you're going to have to pay your electricity bill. You're going to have to pay rent. You're going to have to uh, make sure you keep your numbers straight because guess what? If you've got any success at all, the government really has a great interest in you now because you will pay them. Or you'll have to be sneaky to not pay them, you know, which I don't advise that, especially if your business grows into anything worthwhile. For Sal, so I, I use a barber that's down in Monroe and I ask him, because he's got a diploma up there. How many were in your class? You know, because he's young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like they started out with about 28 and ended up with about 8. <laughs> what class is this? Barber. A barber, barber school. Oh
Oh, they got scared away from it. Well, there was away. something about it that you know that they didn't realize going into it what it might be really like. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that. And they found out what it was really all about. They dropped like flies. Yeah, right, right. I'm just curious when I was chatting with them to see what you know, percentage survives. Interesting. So, um, I so I like the business idea. Uh, Michael Masterson, one of the guys I really like reading, his real name is Mark Ford. Uh, he he is very much that person. He wants to have businesses that make money. He'll sell them, or he'll move on, or he'll just ride ride the the, the income from them. But it's not like he's about being a specialist in something and building his business around that thing. So I think you can go both ways with it. Um, so what's in your head, right? Here, here, here's the question. Am I going to be uh, selling products? Am I going to be selling service or both? I think those are your three options. The only, the only other way to make money um, is to be the tax man and take it from people. By, you know, by legal means, right? Or, or be a church where people donate to you and you have money, Char- a charitable organization. Otherwise, like the, the Clinton Foundation, yes. Um, otherwise, what am I going to sell? You know, is it going to be product, service, or both? And then everything you do is going to kind of be based upon those questions. Secondly, what is the direct route to my customer? Okay, because you, if you're going to sell something, someone's going to be buying it, right? What's your route to your customer? And this is the thing I never, I could, ne- I never wanted to be in this situation. Do you have to attract them into your storefront, or can you go out and get them, right? Because I think those are your options. I wouldn't want to be the sales guy who has to somehow attract people into my business. That would be difficult in my mind. But if I can go out and like talk to people and share with them, you know, I feel more comfortable that way. Other people, that's the last thing they'd want to do is go out and try to find customers. They'd rather have those customers come to them. But how do you get them? How do you get them to come through your door the very first time? Well, I'm in landscaping. They've got to come through my door. Well, not really. You know, there's other landscapers. Right, so how do you now you start dealing with marketing or, or sales or you know some way to communicate and let them know, and and, and ideally if you're really good with your business, um, then word of mouth helps in, in that kind of a, a business, right? Word of mouth because oh they did mine or you're out working on some somebody's property and you got your sign in there they see your trucks and then people come over and they go hey if you got a chance can you give me an estimate. You know, and so on and so forth. But I, I always felt like I'd, I'd rather, I was trained, I'd rather go out and find customers than have to figure out a way to get them to come to me. To each his own on that. And there is obviously the, uh, the whole um, Internet option now, too, where you can try to entice people via the Internet. I, I think it gets a little dicier there because what now are you hitting up all your Facebook friends? Is that okay with you? Is that okay with them? I have no opinion on it. I don't do Facebook. I, I look over Tracy's shoulder once in a while. I, I, you know, you make your own bed that way. I, I don't really uh, find it to be negative or positive. But 
those are the kind of, what are your other internet options? I mean, I think that is a way to, people make a lot of money just selling over the internet, and, and that sounds good. Otherwise, what it would have been? Phone book? I got a listing in the phone book, right? I need a, I need a barber. Let's see what my options are. Go to the barber section. Oh, there's two of them. That was a form of advertising, right? It was legitimate at one point, but... And then third, how do you know the thing you like, right? Yeah. The only thing I, I think about, like, the Facebook advertising, like, it's one thing to, like, put a page together, this is what I have, but, I mean, your friends are your friends to, like, see you and how you're doing things, but I, I don't know, I, I find it a little off-putting when that there's a lot of people that's, like, always soliciting, and it's like... What am I friends with you for? It just makes me want to get rid of them because it's like, it's always about this, it's always about that, or, or whatever. And so it's, it's kind of like, you got to be really careful breaching the <coughs> friend realm into business, I think. Even even without, like, Facebook, you know, where, you know, I had some people call me up one time you know, like, I haven't heard from them in a long time, and, oh, they want to talk, and then... Oh, you say, oh, great, a good friendship, maybe. Yeah, and then, it, oh, oh, you want me to be a part of your thing. Okay, right, right. Talk to you later. So it, it goes from, now, you, it's not just about friendship, now you're a customer potential. Yeah, yeah, when you start turning your friends into company, and, it, and it's fine, like, you can have friends that are customers, but I think it's a very difficult line to walk. And especially, I mean, close friends and things like that, and in standard standard businesses, you know, uh, people sometimes you you think of giving them a good deal because they're a friend, and that, and then they kind of expect that. And, you know, there's a lot of really difficult scenarios that you really have to be careful about so that you don't ruin friendships and and stuff like that. And, uh, and, and maybe part of it is we. We just need to be, uh, I mean, it probably is both ways. I, I, I can't imagine some business, how would you ever grow Tupperware if you didn't talk to people you knew or, or Avon or some of these, these right. things. And some people are very glad you shared with them because now they get to either buy or participate in, in, the, in it with you. I agree. But know when to say when is, yeah. is the, tough, yeah. the tough call. Probably. Exactly. And if it's all Facebook and that's all you're putting on there all the time. You're no longer on there for, for your friends. You're on there for your business. I have one friend that's like real into this um, this uh, makeup product. <clears throat> that's all I see is about their makeup product all the time and how it's going to help you. And it's just like, wow. is, is there a solution to that? I don't know. People, <laughs> I mean, I'll ask out, out here. What 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 do you do? I think your true friends are going to help you support your business through that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what Facebook has become, is more of a business thing. Hmm. I mean, there is, there is like a friends thing, but more or less the majority of the people that I know, I use it for business, I don't have many friends. Mm -hmm. So it just depends on how you look at it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's truthful, you know, like... So everyone like, better get on board with your painting business. Well, or <laughs> no, it's, it's just that, like, I'm not, I'm not on there to see what my friends are doing. You know, I'm there getting information. Basically, that's what I And I'm maybe doing. that's all they'll ever expect from you as far as your Facebook goes. Right. I'm 
we have two completely op like opposite scenarios because yeah. we have two completely different personalities. So I recently started health coaching, but that's not every single post I have. Mm -hmm. That's not every conversation I have. Do I really mm -hmm. believe that what we do can help people? Yeah, and why wouldn't I do that for the people I care about mm -hmm. the most? My right. mom, my husband, the people who are closest to me. But there's equal amounts of um, sharing something that I can believe could change somebody's life and health, and I also really love dancing, and yeah, I also yeah. really love my children. Oh, look at my cute have, son's thing, reaction yeah, to this. You know what I mean? So it's not, it's really personal preference and choice, but if you really believe in what you're doing, your friends are the first people you're going to offer it to, but like real friends, not friends that I haven't talked to in yeah. ages. Yeah, yeah, and I also right. found That's that, good. That's a good point. And I also, <laughs> and it, you can tell too, because who's still talking to you after you said no? Right. And I found like, actually in kind of experimenting in this, it makes me a better friend because I'm not just talking to him for that. I realized, man, I really miss this person. Mm -hmm. And we're still talking and I'm still supporting them and they're doing something completely different. They might be doing keto, they might be doing mm -hmm. whatever. I don't care, I just want them to be healthy. It's a new mission for me, right? So I think, I think it depends on the motivation of the heart of the person behind the business. Yeah, and they gotta be smart. I yeah. mean, if someone isn't interested, then just move on. I mean, not from them, but yeah. talk about the things you normally would talk with with your friend. At yeah, that point. life. Georgie? That's what I was going to say. I think we have to be careful. For instance, oh, there comes that Tupperware lady again. I'm out of here because all I'm going to hear is about her yep. product. Oh, yeah. As much as I'm convinced my product will save you time, money, space, and waste, I don't have to blabber it wherever I go. Right. There are certain times that I don't have to talk business, even among my close friends. Right. Yeah. And I, I noticed that about you, Georgine, is um, I, I don't even remember if you ever brought up Tupperware to us as far as uh, you know becoming part of this interim trace. Maybe at one point, but we, I don't hear that from you at all. At all, and I'm, I'm not going to sell Tupperware, you know. But and, and, maybe I'm but, doing my job. Well, maybe, yeah. Maybe this friend wasn't important enough to you. Yeah, no, I, I think there is a balance there, and, and I, I guess I'm, I'm glad uh, my friends and family don't want what I sell because of the business I'm in. Because that's a, a money loser for me if someone wants to rekey their house. I'm not gonna charge them. You know, we're not. Gonna, we're gonna probably be pretty benevolent with them and just help them out, right? Uh, which is what we did with my brother up north. Okay, he needs some more keys. Send him some keys. Don't don't charge him. You know, I'm not. But I don't want. You know, but your your guys' products a whole different thing. I mean, it's a in the home type product. So I. We'll keep moving. Uh, thanks. That's a good. Um, how, how do you know the thing you like, your dream can build itself into company? Most don't survive. You've got to know you can sell the things, okay? If you, if you don't know you can sell the things, and I'm going to mention a book at the end of the page here. If you don't know you can sell the things, then don't think you're starting a business. You've got to know you can sell something before you really get serious about, maybe I could turn this into a business. You can sell things for a while and quit selling them. That's fine. Don't, don't go doing all the rest of the work until you know you can get some traction with your sales. Uh, you buy a pencil for a dime, you know, can I sell this thing for 20 cents? If you can't sell those pencils, don't get into the pencil business. 
that's not for you, you know, and so on. Has anyone, um, okay, well, since you've got to sell and make money, all right, you need markups. You need to be able to mark up what you're buying in order to sell it, in order to make some money. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the in-between. I bought the pencil for 10 cents. I sold it for 20 cents. I just made a dime on that pencil. You've got to mark it up. I had a friend, his name was Bill Perkins. He became a Christian, a new Christian. We were talking, you know, and excited about life and Christianity. And he was in the automotive industry. He's doing repairs and stuff. He was a mechanic. And he just had a stricken conscience because the parts that they would get uh, and buy as the, uh, the, the guy he worked for would mark them up like 200%. And, and then that's what they'd charge the customer plus labor. And he thought, I can't do that. That's like I'm stealing from people. You know, he, he felt like he was a rapist or something. And I listened to him. I, didn't, I wasn't an business, overly business-minded guy at all at the time. But um, I look at that now, and I think it, it's driven by the market. You know, you've got you've to allow the market, what people are willing to buy, to decide those things. I think that's your safest bet. Because if you don't market up enough, and these other companies who are charging that much, you know, your competitors or, or in that realm, they must know some things you don't know, perhaps. They must know about expenses, that things you don't quite realize what it's going to cost you here in, 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 in the process of that, of that sale. So I don't, think, I don't think, you know, now I'd say to him, and I think he knows different because he's got a pretty important pelletizing business out in um, Prairie du Chien. But I think he, he, he would realize now that you, you mark things up because you want to you be profitable. You want to pay your expenses, but you also want some profit at, at the end of that. Um, and sometimes it, it may mean you mark something up 200%. Sometimes you may mark it up 10%, you know. What, what's, what's it going to take and what, are you, what do you have to do with that money in order to be a legitimate business? Let me ask you the question, okay? There are some products, in other words, that we have, that we mark up, and because of the price we get, we know we're in a position we can mark it up 75, 80%. Right? Other products, it's not our cup of tea. We're just trying to help our customer. We're only going to mark those up 30%. You know? But uh, we don't get a good price on them either. So our competitor would make us look foolish if we marked it up 70%, if, if it played out that way. Anybody else have markup issues that they remember? Yeah. Too much, too little. Any experiences that way? In that game with our business, so I quote things all the time, and sometimes you hear back from the customer, "Oh, well, the competition is just just a little under you." So, oh, well, we'll see what we can do. You know, just <laughs> you come back if you can, but. You just say, see you in a year. And sometimes it's like you don't want to be in the car salesman thing, you know, where someone says, hey, can you do a little better than this? I had just this week someone say they wanted some mortise locks. Mortise locks slide into the edge of the door, a few hundred bucks. 
And she said, is there a discount on quantity? And, and I said, well, we can get a discount. We can ask for a discount if it's over 25 units. Oh, we are hoping there's, you know, we could get less of a quantity and get a discount. I mean, but this is a, a school district that I know are always looking to you know, nip and tuck at the pennies. You know, but I didn't say, oh, well, then we'll do it. Because they're going to ask every time then. Everybody will ask every time you start playing that game. You don't have a set price anymore. You're whatever the wind blows today, you know, and that, that's no place to be. Now, now people got to play you. They, get, they realize, now I got to play, play the game. We don't play the game. Be careful there, too, because if you give one a discount and somebody else finds out about it, that they didn't get that for the same. Yeah, oh, well, right on, right. Or same quantity. And now they're at a conference together going, you got you to talk those people down. I, we've learned that lesson. You know, and now we're that company, right? And, and the fact that you gave the discount means, doesn't it, a little bit that you are overpriced, that you're willing to go with less? Yeah, I don't know. It, it, there's a, some things they got to wrestle with, I guess. But here's a question for you. Is your goal just to break even? Okay? I bought the product. I marked it up so that I could sell it and pay for my expenses and travel and gas in literature and business cards and employees that we've got working and insurance and taxes. I've done all this. Whew. End of the year, we had $3 million in sales no profit. Okay? You've, you've had some success, trust me. You know, you've paid people. They've, they've, they've run their households, right? They've been able to, to um, pay their bills and tithe and, and, and build up their, their own households. That's a good and glorious thing. And if you have an income yourself from the business, well, that's something you didn't have before. But you typically want profit at the end of the year. So it's, it's, it's grow, growing into something. Did you want to say something? Oh, sorry. Let the market decide some of the markup questions, I think. I, I came into, when we started Gap of Security Solutions, I had the great benefit of having worked for the same type of, basic type of company for years. I could kind of emulate, see where their prices were, I, you know, get my, I got my uh, pricing from our supplier. We were the rep for the, the state of Wisconsin, which was a grand position to be in. And then I could market all the way up to get close to, but just underneath, my competitor company. And so we had a better price. We had a quality product. I can go back to my old customers and say, hey, I, I'm back, you know. And it was, uh, it's been a very, a very uh, a fruitful Thing, but sometimes you got to learn what the market bears. Before you run ahead um, or run headstrong into creating a new company, I'd say F, you need to be somewhat organized. Now my, you know, we started Gap of Security Solutions. I was the person doing it, and my wife would maybe laugh and say, somewhat organized, huh? Right? But I am somewhat organized. And um, some people are not organized people. And, and, and although they've got good intentions, forget about really trying to get a business going or get somebody right away who's organized to be your sidekick <laughs> or, or your person because uh, it ain't going to grow very far as good as you are as a barber if you're not organized with all these other things that you've got to make sure don't fall through the cracks. Um, 
Anybody want to chime in on that? Yeah, like when Purcell did this, or, oh yeah, I remember when Dad did that. <laughs> uh, so I think some people are be- better being told what to do. You know, each day they come to work, here's your, here's your, uh, your project, go, go at it. And they're okay with that, and that is what makes the world go round. Not everybody, in fact, fewer people, you know, should be business owners than, than are not business owners. But, and then sometimes people just have these great, these mad skills that you just want to turn them loose, unleash them in someone else's company. You've got to go work for somebody. They really will pay you uh, well because you've got abilities that um, others don't have. But you're not necessarily the guy who's going to start a new company with those skills. So uh, I think there's, there's great, um, something great in that. I, I know, and this is really small business talk, right? There's big businesses, and, and, and small business eventually can grow into a great big business, but there's some things that I don't deal with because I have no clue what you would do as a major corporation and, and what your challenges are and the, and the uh, what-ifs you know, become. I remember um, Rocky Martini. He was Staff Electric. He was the own, one of the owners of Staff Electric. And, and he was encouraging me a little bit because we had this little capital security solutions thing <laughs> going. And, and he says, you know what we pay in payroll every, every week or every two weeks? A million dollars. And I'm thinking, okay, crap. <laughs> you know, that's a lot of money. So um, great. And he's retired now, I think, not even in the company. Or maybe he gets, you know, whatever, but. But there's some guys who start a, a company, they, they really know what they're doing, and people bring their stuff to them, and they just aren't organized enough, and pretty soon you got people's stuff lying all over your shop, unattended, you don't get back to them because you haven't gotten to their thing. And um, that person's not, a, is not cut out to be a business person, uh, or he needs to hire some help to take over some of that. I remember... Um, Sticks and stones. I thought, oh, this is a great, these guys know what they're doing back when there's just the two guys. And, I, and I'm thinking, okay, they, they really got something going. And I, and I thought, we should, we should have them come look at Lydia's place. And they, the younger guy, the guy who's not there anymore, came over. And, you know, nice guy. And, uh, but I know there was a little bit of like a phone tag, wait to hear back. And I thought, you guys, you just got to hire a gal. Just the phone person that's going to take messages and see people's calendars and communicate. That's going to take a lot of pressure off of you. And it will make all your customers a lot happier that, hey, at least someone got back to me and, and so on. And I know you've got one now. I don't know who talked to him, but Tracy did, right? You thought, oh, wow, she was, she was very helpful. That's, that was, I think that was key for them back then. But you've got to hire somebody. You've got to teach them some stuff. Then you've you got to do, trust the person to, to be that person. But, um. And I would say this, it's okay for whatever your little company is to be a side income. It doesn't have to grow into something magnificent. It can just be something on the side that you, uh, you can make some money for that vacation trip you want to take once a year or, or pay certain bills down or you just have fun doing it. And um, that, that's fine. Um, my, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, Dave Ramsey always says, you know, make sure the boat is close enough to the dock before you jump off. So, you know, if, if you're starting a new business, it's better to, 
to get it rolling before you quit your your job. Oh, yeah. don't quit your day job too soon. Yeah, yeah, right. I had a friend that I, that's exactly what I told him, and he decided no, he knows better. He jumped off the dock and he, he drowned in the water. So. And he came back to the old business that he worked for or something, probably. He went back to somewhere. Exactly. My dad started these things uh, when he was, I don't know when. I think he was still teaching at West Bend uh, Badger Middle School. But they're macrame pot hangers. I just remember him hanging from our chandelier or whatever the light was in the ceiling in the living room. And I'm thinking, okay. But he'd, he'd make these things, and they'd go out and, and sell them. But... This was not a business business that he's going to leave teaching to go into. But it's just something he liked to do on the side. It was kind of fun. People liked them. They made some money. Back in the days when macrame pot hangers were a thing that were new and exciting, I guess. But the biggest point I would make is, H, do not proceed down the road of the movie Field of Dreams. If you're familiar with the movie Field of Dreams, Kevin Costner, okay, he, I don't remember how it all went, but he said, you know, he's got this vision. I don't know if he had a dream or what, but that he was supposed to build this baseball field in his back. He was a farmer or something, right? And, and then they will come. What does that mean or whatever? And then these old, you know, once dead baseball players start coming out of the cornfields to play a game, right? And this little place is in the, we've seen the Field of Dreams location. Tracy and I were there in uh, Iowa. It's, it's actually in the same town as our favorite pizza place in the whole world right now, um, Chad's Pizza, which is the one I told you guys about when you're traveling through. But uh, um, field of dreams. So you build the field, and then they will come. And, and I think huge mistake when it comes to a business. I need an LLC. Okay, you're thinking of it. You're still in the I think I'm pregnant stage. I need an LLC. I should get a post office box, get a website going, buy some inventory, get my accounting software. I need insurance, maybe a rental space, investors, maybe debt. Okay, maybe if someone comes on and, and it kicks some money in, then I'll see how it goes. That's, that's stupid. And, and um, no offense if this is what you've already done. <laughs> But to me, it's stupid, and I give Michael Masterson, uh, ready, fire, aim, uh, a lot of credit because he says, first see if people want what you have to offer. Ready, fire, then aim. Okay, so in other words, make sure you can sell the product or service before you buy furniture for the baby room. Yeah. That also involves, like, researching where you are. If you're going to start a, I don't know, pick a business, Let's say landscape business, and there's already five in your little town. Maybe that's not the wisest investment or business, as much as your heart might be there. It's going to be rough get making money and starting out. I mean, move to a different town, maybe, and start it. <laughs> and I, and I, yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, it, it didn't take a little brain work uh, planning, but um, yeah, don't go in thoughtlessly. But I don't think you prepare and do all the things a business may someday need when you, can't, you don't even know you can sell the, the pencil. I mean, you can't sell a pencil. Guess what? You just got your LLC, your post office box, you rented your space, and you're like, like Andy said, you, the boat was too far. You fell into the water. Um, you, you're not going anywhere. 
And there is some argument made, I, I've, I've heard it more than once, that it, it, it's interesting that the companies that want to sell something, like, say, a record label company, they put themselves in the same city as the other record label companies. And I, I don't know if it's because of what that city attracts in, in producers and entertainers or whatever. I don't know what that is. And it's not just record. It's almost like if, if, you, if you're a stamp collector and you're selling stamps and you're trading stamps, they go where other stamp collectors are, are found. And I'm just throwing, throwing out makeup things. But I've heard that, that even though there are other landscapers, is that going to dissuade you? Or is that the place to be? I would think. I would have thought it would be sweet. your business, like like the record maker. Like a like, like you're talking about a record maker. Right. I mean, if that's where all the singers are, that's where you want to be. Yeah. You'd be in a good place. Right. Yeah. Right. And that but could it all be. depends on what your what business and what you're selling. Yeah. And that could be the rationale behind what I've heard more than one time. Let's skip to the next page. Is once you start selling. It's then you realize, I'm about to have a baby, okay? I'm going to have a baby. You are pregnant, indeed. Um, and uh, there are some things you want to get right once you realize I'm selling. And one of the things is you want to keep record. LLC, I think that makes sense at some point, you know, to make yourself an official limited liability company or whatever. Um, or, you know, just you and your checkbook, that, that lasts for a while, too. And, and, and you can become an LLC and still be you and your checkbook. From what I understand, you just got to keep business expenses and uh, purchases um, straight. You got to keep record of those things. And, and it's not something you do with an, a napkin and, you know, some back of a McDonald's receipt. That's, that's stupid again. Okay? Not that you don't keep that McDonald's receipt. If you, if you just had lunch, you know, on company money. But to, to just, like, start your – I heard nightmares from our accounting people of the shoebox full of receipts handed to them at the end of tax – you know, before tax time is due. And it's one thing if it's just you doing your thing, you and your husband, and you're just keeping it simple. But if it's really going to grow and you're really going to make some sales, you've got to start figuring a system out that's going to keep you honest and, and organized. Accounting software or accountant or both, they're going to force you to learn some things about business that you never thought about. Absolutely the case. I mean, what's that? I, I have looked so foolish, I am sure, and I, I still do. Tell me what you, you mean by what you just said. They use some kind of word. And I don't know why they talk. I, I never understood. It really bothered me why they talked about, like, what, assets and liabilities. <laughs> what is that what got to do with you know expenses and income or selling and profit and, and some of these words I understand but then they they throw all these like accounting words out there and it's, so you're going to learn up things about business you never thought you didn't know um, but if God wants your business to grow you're just not going to do it with a shoebox and napkin that that's a big mistake you're going to fail because you can't add too many people to that mix and your toast. Right, hey, where's your shoebox? Did you bring your shoebox and receipts in today? We got to do the whole receipt request from technicians and salespeople 
regularly just to make sure we've got their, their credit card expenses. But uh, if that's how we ran the whole business, the shoebox and receipts and back of napkins, I can't imagine that. I would not be in business, I'll guarantee you that. Um, the tax man and insurance, those things become a real uh, question now, how to keep the wolf from the door. I had a buddy across the street, neighbor of mine, he was great groomer of lawns. I mean, this guy could do lawns. He was trained, I think he, he, he worked for Chemlon for a while, and then he decided, I can, I can do this on my own. And he, he landed some nice big corporate accounts. His, his lawns were wonderful, but he didn't keep his records straight. He didn't pay his taxes when they were due. He, he just kind of let the business part of it uh, become his, his problem. Oh, he had his business taken away. I mean, the government closed him down. He didn't pay his taxes. Yikes. And that happened, multi, uh, I think, twice to him. Okay. And he's in, you know what he's doing now? Lawn care business again. <laughs> but, I mean, and he does it, he does a great job with, when he's attentive and on the spot. Um, but you, you do need to make sure you're not playing. Uh, fast and loose with the government. I, that's my recommendation. I'm not for paying taxes. I, I, I don't like taxes. But keep the wolf from the door. You, you pay your taxes or something's going to happen to you at this point. So, um, Bob Krieger had mentioned to me once we were sitting, he was talking about incremental growth. He said that um, uh, slow growth is okay, maybe even better that you have a slow growth to your company. And uh, he said anytime someone tried to go in their own business without slowly building, he, he seems they always failed. That quick start, that amazing amount of sales, you're just not ready for it. And, and, and you don't appreciate the work it takes to grow a company slowly. And, and if you grow that company slowly and you realize and you learn lessons along the way, you're not as apt to fall back to ground zero when something does go wrong. You, you adapt or maybe you got to, reel it in a little bit, um, but um, he had mentioned his uh, niece, and, and uh, she's got a, a decorative wreaths business that she does all online, and that's not the name, Edible No. The name of it is uh, The Brighter Side Company, The Brighter Side Company. I think she's out of Watertown, but he says she's doing a great amount of work. So, Back to Am I Making Money? expenses versus income. This is still as I'm going to have a baby section. So far, no profit. One of my favorite three or four episodes of The Office, which is a sitcom that I love, right? But, uh, or, or liked, it's no longer, I think it had nine seasons or 10 or 11, I don't know. But was when Michael Scott, who was like the head office man, decides they're not treating him right, or they didn't give him the promotion. He's going to go out and start his own paper company. He sold. Their, the company he was working for is called Dunder Mifflin. They're a paper company selling to customers, you know, corporate customers, supplying paper to them. He's going to go out and start the Michael Scott Paper Company, Incorporated. And so he talks uh, a couple of the other employees into joining him at some point. And... Uh, his, his, his business is located within the same building as Dunder Mifflin, but in some maintenance closet or something. <laughs> you know? So this is how he's going to start his business. 
But Michael Scott is a superior salesman. And he, that's what he was always very good with, Dunder Mifflin, and how he got you know, raised up to the position of head of the office was because he had excellent sales skills, relational skills. And uh, so the Michael Scott Paper Company took off like a, like a bat out of, out of um, I don't remember the phrase, but <clears throat> it just took off. And, and Michael was like, going back to his old customers, and he knew them, and, and they knew him. He says, hey, and he was just, whenever Michael Scott goes into a sales situation on that show, you just got to sit back and admire him. He is just magnificent. And he goes back in, and he starts taking these customers on as Michael Scott Paper Company. And they leave purchasing from Dunder Mifflin and start purchasing from the Michael Scott Paper Company. But they were ill-prepared on the business side of things, okay? So they're delivering paper in this shared van where they also pick up some uh, Mexican woman's paper. It was a Korean lady. It was an old Korean church van. Oh, yeah. Korean church van. So, right right so they're making ends meet, you know, and, it, and, and, and their prices are good, and so, you know, and he's gaining the trust of these customers. But they realize they don't, they don't have money. It's like, what's going on here? They go to an accountant, and he's running the numbers, and he's, he's comparing all his expenses and, and income and taxes and all this other stuff, payroll. And he goes, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're going under. And Michael just, you're kidding. He's like stunned. He goes, run those numbers again. And the guy just hits the enter key one more time. <laughs> no, it didn't change anything. And I love that scene. And, 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 and I wake up, I, you know, for a while, that's the nightmare I'd have, you know, would keep me up at night. It was like, run those numbers again. I can't believe we're in this position. And uh, it scared me that I might be, you know, the Michael Scott paper company example. One of our best years in sales, as a case in point, was not a, a prof, not a highly profitable year. It might have been even a, a year we lost money, you know, in, in regard to profitability. So, um, <laughs> Michael Scott Paper Company. My baby is born, but I'm still nursing it and changing diapers. Um, uh, so when you're selling, we had one sale, and this was after Andy was with us. Um, and it was me, Andy, and Lydia pr- uh, pretty much at this point for Waniwak School District, Waniwak Union School District. And did Manny help you? No, it was Ben that helped you put locks in. Was it just Ben? Ben and John. John, but oh, okay. So anyway, it was, a, it was a big sale for us. This was the biggest sale in the world, right? It becomes real when sales begin to mount and the sizes of the projects increase. Waniwak Union Center School District was a $21,469.26 order. We didn't never have to sell another thing again. That's kind of kind of like, wow, we made it. You know, this is it. I can pay Andy for a long time on this sale. You know, that was my only concern back then. I remember my thoughts were like, okay, well, we got this nice big sale, but then what? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> Unappreciative. I was. Why it was like, how many more places can we rekey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Um, so. Uh, I, but I remember, because I went in there, and I was selling against the old com- my old company, uh, Best Lock, and, and the, the sales guy there was saying, oh, for sale, Gappa? He's, he's quoting this job? 
Uh, he goes, uh, and then we were known, I think, as Marshall Best Security of Wisconsin. Okay. He's selling a job. I thought he was a pastor. You know, he knew what I was doing. This competition knew what I was doing. And he was just kind of like planting doubt, which is not a good sales technique. I speak against that. Um, but it's easy to fall into that trap. But Art Keenan, the superintendent of the schools, was making the decision. I knew Art from Partyville School District. He used to be a superintendent there. So I have a working relationship with him. He knew me. All he didn't know was, this company, you're going to be able to rekey our building and, and give us quality locks because it was a new lock brand. And I knew Art so much that I knew going in, he's a Bears fan. You know, I kind of we rib him about that. I, so I just got the, the feeling that uh, we prayed, but uh, when we got that order, it's like, big time. You know, we were, <laughs> yeah, big time. Anyway, um, that's just, uh, I precursored this. Um, Gerber, in the E-Myth book, he, uh, he talks about when you first start, you're wearing many hats. And that's, that was my experience. I pretty much had to wear all the hats, except for Lydia was wearing one of my hats for me, pinning cores, uh, filling orders. Were you packaging orders up too, Tracy? What? You were pinning then in the, in the parsonage basement? Well, thank you. I never used credit for it. I sat at the table. You sat at the kitchen table. All right. So uh, pinning cores, cutting keys, testing, doing all these things. Um, and then Andy, who started moonlighting as... as uh, the, our tech, otherwise I think I hired uh, Tom to do one job at some Catholic place, maybe with Andy, and, and maybe Norm Zorowski, a locksmith up in Wausau, who I knew, I think I had him uh, uh, put in a building full of locks for me. I'm not, I'm, I wasn't going to go out and put in locks. I wasn't going to go out and do any of that kind of stuff. Um, so when Andy was moonlighting and the sales were starting to come in, it got to a point where we need this body, we need to hire Andy. And that was a difficult, big decision. Okay, so right now, I didn't really have to pay Lydia much of anything, right? Tracy, she would refuse all payment. Uh, and, and I, you know, didn't need to have the money either other than paying for our expenses. But hiring Andy, huge, huge, big decision uh, in the company, life of the company. And because it, it meant I, all I got to do is sell to make sure he gets paid, which also means health insurance because... He needs health insurance. He doesn't have it. We had health insurance through the church, you know. So this is a, a big stepping point. And I'm starting to, to pay the government for real now. I mean, these projects are starting to add up. Taxes on sales, taxes on employee wages now, right? Taxes on stuff you use in your business. They actually have a tax on what they call personal property, right? Inside. You could be renting a place but if you're using computers and you got desks and you're doing all this, they'll, they'll tax you on that stuff, stuff you own. Storage, too. And storage? Uh, at least for a while. So John Deere used to have warehouses full of parts, okay. and they moved them to uh, semi-trailers because, for whatever reason, they yep. Oh, because they tax them in a building, but not on a, on a, like they're moving. Okay. And then they just didn't have them on site at all, so they were trucking them in for other facilities, so it changed a couple of times. Uh, okay. couple of times. It's almost like the shell game, yeah, right? Pretty much. Well, and it's like, who do they think they are? Are they going to tax you the air you breathe next? I mean, right. And I just saw one of these personal tax, uh, personal property things. I, I know we used to get it from the uh, state, I think. I think I just saw one from Dodge County now. And 
I don't know if that's new or if that's been the same thing exactly you recall. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, it's like, just, oh, and then they start out like this. We're just going to act like it's a buck, you know? Get the foot in the door. And, and that's what they do. They did it with the, the church signage. We had a church sign out in the country. And um, because there's a sign, they wanted to tax you. And it's like, well, we're non, we're charitable. What do you mean? You don't tax the church, right? That guy gave us, let us put it on his lawn. I mean, this is a, a, the field of one of our congregants, you know? And, and it's like, okay, and now they're taxing us locally, but there's no dollar we have to pay, but they want to make sure that you see that you're on the tax rolls because you have a property in Alto. That's the, that's the camel's nose in the, under the tent. Now we have to pay the administrative costs because the guy's got to spend a little time. It's going to be just 15 bucks a year. Don't worry about it. Pay your 15 bucks. You know, and then boom, boom, boom. That's all it takes. You know? But anyway, I, off that, sorry. But you're going to pay taxes you didn't know you had to pay. Okay? Uh, hopefully you have started to fully utilize your accounting software and accountant at this point, which takes time too. Okay? The database in our software has more items I think than anybody, I don't know if I'd say this correctly, anybody almost at O'Connor Wells Vanderwerf. They don't have a company with this many items in their database. Is that what you remember her saying? I, I don't know. Well, Sandy surprised me. I, they, they were shocked at the size of our company file. Yeah. Because I mean, we have like thousands and thousands of items. Yes. Because every detail matters in the business. I mean, the finish, back set, I mean, there's all kinds of lever styles and you got to put them all in QuickBooks or whatever accounting software you're using as an item. Um, you probably don't have to worry about that if you're in a painting business. I'm going to paint the house. I'm not too worried. Expenses, income. I don't, I don't keep stock for the most part, so I can buy it as you go kind of thing. And brushes are like tools, right? And rollers. Yeah, yeah just write them off. Yeah, yeah so, um, yeah. E each one got entered by hand of those thousands of, of, of items. So you're stopping and you're doing things and you're trying to do them right. And if anybody has used an accounting software, if you don't do it right this month, it shows up next month that you screwed up. And now you're going to spend hours trying to figure out what you did wrong or didn't do right. Don't go backwards. Always, always do it right the first time. I mean, I, I went to a QuickBooks training seminar for like two days, and the thing he had said over and over and over and over again was, I always read your error messages and I always fix it on the front end because it's so hard to do it afterwards. You that's waste so much more time. Yeah, that's... An, uh, Don't ever take shortcuts, basically. There's no jerry-rigging with accounting. Yeah. There is no, oh, ah, just do it this way. No, you're going to eat that. It'll be next month. You're going to see where it shows up because you didn't enter it to the right set and the right category. We doing okay? Anybody need right. a bathroom break? Oh, okay. A quick five minute break and then we'll start on page 11. All right, so uh, take a look at page 11, top of the page, um, where the kid is growing up in my house. He's starting to get a mind of his own, all right? Uh, back to keeping the books. 
how will you account for your wealth you're creating? And get a little bit into it here because we, I mean, if I bought QuickBooks, it was me in the house, you know, with whatever we we're going to do. And QuickBooks has you go through this process of saying, what type of business are you, you know? Because it'll, it'll give you a template of what they think would best serve your purposes as a business. And I thought, I don't know, how do I answer this question? Because <laughs> I, I didn't even know what I was doing. But um, we originally, uh, I originally chose sales and service or something. But the template they gave me didn't provide something that was very key to what we've been doing ever since. I, I believe this is how the story goes. Zach will chime in here in a second on it. But um, we were using the accounting software, but it wasn't doing everything for us that it should have been doing for us. Okay, And so I don't know if you can see it or not, but these three boxes here, estimates, sales order, invoice, right? We were using these two, the estimates, and to create the invoice, okay? But not the sales order icon. It didn't even show up, I don't believe, on our screen because of what I did in the past with making my choice. So here we were. I was quoting a customer with an estimate, okay? Say it's Waniwak Union School District. They go, okay, we're going to go ahead for sale. Here's your purchase order, you know? Oh, hey. And so now... We have this order, but all, all QuickBooks is waiting for is for me to create an invoice. I've got no sales order category in my QuickBooks that I can check on and make changes to or whatever, send to the customer, hey, here's your sales order number. So now what we're doing, because we're getting busy, is we've got a long list of written out sales orders on a piece of paper that we're trying to keep track of all of our sales orders. Um, so we went down, I don't know what we were discussing in Marshall. Well, so what we used to do, you would take a quote that was approved and you would hand write out an order essentially. Because we were, there was like a logical step here that we knew had to happen. Because it needed to be walked around in the office and people needed to create the things and pack it up and ship it out and all that had to happen somehow, right? So we did it manually. But then as things got bigger, it was like more and more frustrating continue to function that way and try to keep all these paper orders somewhere and stuff. So then when we were visiting um, Marshall Best Corporate in Indiana, and I don't, did we, maybe we voiced this question at that point, but I think it was just because we were watching his screen. He used a different software, but he was talking about this thing called a sales order, and it was like, what's a sales order? And he order? seemed like he was getting a lot of important information from that information for this thing called a sales order. And then it was like a light bulb moment where, like, there's a missing piece of the puzzle here that we just didn't yeah. know the name of. Yeah. And we went back then, or Googled it or whatever, and, like, QuickBooks sales order, and it was a, literally a checkbox in the preferences that we did not have checked. And we checked it, and it popped up, and it was huge. And now everything, I mean, the sales order is, like, the most important part of our process now internally. Right. To have that, yes, and the estimate can be turned into the sales order, can be turned into the invoice, and it all just works. <laughs> yeah. And yes, and it is a be beautiful thing. And sometimes you'll you'll catch and learn some things you totally weren't expecting when you were somewhere else. But boy, oh boy, it sure made a, a world of difference. I there are icons on here I've never clicked. I don't dare click them. I don't even want to click them. All right. 
Uh, I'm sure other people have clicked them, but I know the ones I'm going to stick to and, uh, and let the accountant and Zach and, and others in the office do their, do their thing. Your accountant can guide you. Use software familiar to them. Uh, it was pretty paramount. I mean, QuickBooks is pretty universal as an accounting software. There are a couple others. Um, just make sure if you're going to have an accountant, they know the software and know how to use it because they'll help you, and, uh, and that'll, be, that'll be good. There can be no shortcuts in jerry-rigging. Do not go back and make changes to the last accounting period or cycle. Um, that's where you get into troubles. In fact, uh, our accountant put a password in that we can't go back without her password and make changes. And it's only in certain ways that you make changes that's going to screw you up. But once you do it, it's a mess because it affects the taxes she had figured. It affects uh, whatever else. And um, we just had a recent thing that didn't line up, and Tracy was trying to um, do the checkbook. What, what do you call that again when you reconcile the checkbook to QuickBooks, right? And she's going, why is this number up here? It doesn't say it was reconciled last month. And she goes, I know I always reconcile to zeros or else I don't leave it, right? So she was trying to figure out what in the world happened here. We had this number, you know, dollar amount number, 800 and something dollars and 27 cents. So you know what you're looking for, probably. It's something that was in the form of 800 and... And she spent... I don't know, a couple hours the other morning trying to figure it out, open folders, look back. Eventually, found the answer was somewhere between Zach, Ashley, and the accountant, right? The accountant made the mistake, which Tracy was glad for because then she said, at least I didn't make the mistake, you know. But uh, it, it, warning out there, accountants don't always get it right either, so... Um, in fact, they can cost you thousands and thousands of dollars if they miss something that they should have given you the counsel on. But it's your fault in the end, you know, because it's your, you're the taxpayer, not them. So the accountant is not always on top of things. You also learn people are like soup, okay? Um, they're not like chili. We don't get along as good as chili. We're more like soup, okay? So there's pieces that float, knock together inside uh, of the uh, mix there. Um, but people are important if your business is growing, and so you got to hire. Who do you know that we could hire? It's always a, a good feeling to think that you could hire someone you knew. You know their character. You know their background a little bit. They're friendly. Um, some of those important things maybe are out of the way. Um, now, are they capable you know, what do you know about them in their work skills, and, and so on and so forth. Hiring, the hiring process is Zachary's favorite thing in the world, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, he absolutely despises this process right now. <laughs> That's just so time-consuming. It's so time-consuming. And there's so many, you know, dead ends and... You feel like it's wasted time. You know, you're gonna talk to, especially if you're doing, if you are trying to hire people you don't know, then you're talking to, you know, 10, 20 people maybe before you really find one person that you're considering hiring, and then they may or may not want the job, or they may or may not work out, and then if they don't work out, 
six months later, you got to start the whole process over again. And, and people, uh, I guarantee you this, if you can run your little small business as a side income and just enjoy the life that way, where you don't have to actually hire people, because people are problems. I mean, we have not hired someone who's not a sinner yet, and, and including the people who are doing the hiring. And so you, you're always going to be uh, dealing with the potential of complaining and, and toxicity and back, backbiting, and, and let alone maybe laziness and, and other things. I mean, you, you think laziness um, and um, an inability to complete a job, you know, by putting in a little extra time is, is the, the bane of your business, I would say no. I'd rather have a guy like that than someone who's backbiting everybody and it's just a toxic waste of, of a person um, because that's the one that's going to hurt you. Um, we have had uh, some people come and go in the company and uh, uh, one of the best things that's happened to us as a company, I believe, um, was when one of the people that were very important to us left because it just took a toxic odor out of the mix that did have an effect on other people, and they became more toxic because of the person. And, and I think I've seen that happen um, uh, more than once. And it's something to guard against, and hard to guard against because people can be complaining and be just pills, but there's also there's a tension to saying, we want to be better, right? We want to improve. And, and so, I, yeah, I am a little frustrated. I'm sharing my frustration with you, but it's because I want to be better. I want to feel like I'm working for a great company. And so you, you don't want to squelch that either. And it, sometimes they, they look the same. <laughs> or or you got your, your defenses up because of the one type of toxicity and then someone else who really wants to come in and, and try to help improve, you feel it's like it sounds a lot the same. I think that's a universal thing. I think the, the difference is you, as a company owner, even if you can't do something about whatever they bring up, most people appreciate if you tell them that you can't do anything about it. About where you heard what they said, sorry. Right. I think it's out of my hands. Yeah. Where the other type of person... Is it going to change no matter why you tell them? But most people can at least appreciate it. If you tell them, give them up front, then I can't do anything about it. But we'll try to improve the situation somehow. Yeah, yes. Uh, good. And Zach, you brought up a, you had a two sentence thing you said at one point. And I thought, it was so good. You got to write it down so we can type it out. Because I, I, I need reminding. Um, well, do you remember the, the gist of it on people complaining? Um, Construct gist, I don't know. I, just something along the lines of there's a kind of criticism of wanting to do better that's about improving collectively and together, helping each other get better. And then there's the other kind that just wants to kind of tear things apart and make yourself look better. If you're coming with criticism and it's always about the other guy and how they're screwing up, Oh, you can do their job better than that. Right. That that attitude drives right. me nuts. There's certain people that think they can do everybody's job better than that. Yes, yes. That's one of the toxic people that left. That was his view. He could do everything better than anyone in, yep. in the company. Yeah. I found in my short time in the 
supervisory role, I could tell the difference between the people when I challenged that back. Bring me three solutions to your problem. Yeah, yeah. The people who brought back three solutions and were willing to work as part of the team to drive things forward were apart from the people who did it. The people who did it just wanted to complain, there's your cancer. The people who are ready to bring three solutions to you are the ones that are legitimately looking to improve. So I would always beat through people like that when I'd say, I hear you, bring me three solutions. And some people would and some people won't. What, what if the three solutions were, I am right, you got to change, and you really got to change. <laughs> and if you ever have that circumstance, because usually that attitude of person didn't come up with any solutions to actually bring forward. They just wanted to keep complaining. So, I mean, if you have a person who just wants to complain, maybe there's something going on in their life, but they're usually not the people who want to work with the team to make them better. And usually the people who found them, themselves out the door by their own doing or sometimes by yeah. Well, and I think that's the other. I mean, it comes up next is uh, the uh, the firing of people. Where 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 did I leave off here? Constructive tension, uh, firing. That's a hard thing to do. Jace. I just go back to hiring for a minute. Yeah, I yeah. just had a question. I don't know if um, Dave has has this experience. Do you guys hire seasonally at your place? I kind of wonder, like, how do you do that? That's like a quick, you have to do that then, like, every, like, it's a process for us. We were lucky before we had three kids very young in school, so we had them for three years. Okay. That was kind of nice, but now they're all gone, so we had to hire a different kid this year now, so. Okay. But it's seasonal? But, yeah, he's he's in high school yet, but he's pretty young, so hopefully we'll have him for a few years ago. Okay. Do you mean the actual act of hiring is such a well, process? Yeah, like, I would think that would take consume so much time, like it does for us, and you're hiring, and then you need them for those summer months that get really busy, but what if after two weeks you find out it is, it's not working and you're looking for someone else? Because the I mean, last batch we had, is that like a process or some But that did happen. So word of mouth? Do you hire word of mouth that way more than like actually physically, like out looking for Yeah, see, someone? the last group of kids we had, one of the kids was um, Matt, the owner, his nephew. Okay. And he had three friends. They were all good workers, and we had them for like three, four years, so it was kind of okay. nice. But we've had some bad ones, too. In fact, we had one last year that, was it last year? No, two years ago, they fired me. Got to the point on the job, he decided to lay down underneath us, Bruce, and take a nap while he was working in the house. That was kind of the last straw. <laughs> but, uh, but that yeah, also created a toxic environment, because the other guys no were getting upset. Um, so everyone was glad sure. when he left. Like your seasonal work, are those lesser roles than some of your other, you know, like some of your other roles where they're constantly going to be under the supervision of somebody, right. they're doing jobs yes. that are very yes. tedious. Yes. So yes. you don't have to put those people through the same rigorous process oh, that yes. you put your like upper yes. level people at because they're constantly going to be monitoring. They're always being supervised. You don't put them on a job by themselves. There, there's but a still book. Maybe Fire or then replace because right. you you need those bodies either way, right. especially during your seasonal time. So there's a book, a Good to Great, that is on you know kicking a good business and making it really into something. But they address that um, that tension you get from employees who are frustrated by an employee who isn't pulling his own weight. 
who isn't who's sleeping under the spruce tree, and um, and you want to you want to um, support them in in their concern, not you know for the guy to be better, um, and and it's a I think it's a tension, it's a fine line too because I uh, I think sometimes you just got certain people with certain capability. Laziness is one thing, right? But some people are just not very competent in all the things that you'd want them to be able to do. Do you cut them off, or do you try to work with them, you know? Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that, I mean, so far legally-wise, I don't, haven't felt like there's been a, any tensions that way that we've had to cross. We're not a big corporation that, you know, maybe treats people as numbers with a union standing in the corner or anything like that. But I don't know if you guys have unions or not. But, um, but I we have been in cases where we've let people go that we wanted a police person down the road because you didn't know what this person was going to do. You know, turned out fine, but you just kind of feel like Calvin, are you packing today? You know, <laughs> just in case, you know. Um, but, and that's no fun. It's no fun firing people at all. I mean, Zach's gotten hardened to it now. He can do it no problem. No, no, it's no fun. It gets easier, you know, when you've had to do it. And, and, and I think because it, it's almost like the Godfather. This is just business. You know, you, you get to the point where it's not a big personality thing now. I'm not against you. It's just business, you know, and. This is not going to work anymore. I, I remember in one conversation, the guy was going to try to plead, plead his case, and, and I, I had to stop him and said, "Now listen, you'll be you'll be leaving here today, not an employee. Let's not even go down that road." And, and he he heard that, and you know he was okay with that. I mean, he wasn't okay with it, but he he didn't fight it. There are three kind, three groups of people: those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who wonder what happened. Yeah. <laughs> Do you find that the people That's that you awesome. fired um, are not anticipating? <clears throat> and the reason I'm asking that is because every time I sit down with a person that's led to a point. For the most part, I'll say, how do you think things are going? And there's a review process, and it's always a comparison of where they rate themselves versus where I've rated themselves. If there was a discrepancy, then we kind of worked on that. But for the most part, when somebody came in and I said, you know, how do you feel like things are going? The people who are on the road to firing will openly say, not good. Just honest, if I'm being honest, it just doesn't feel like a good fit. And I'll say, yeah, we're on the same page. So how can we, you know, how can we work through this and either find a better place for you here or is it time just to park? There's only been one time where I walked in and, and somebody was like, I think it's going great. And I'm like, what planet do you live on? So do you, do you guys find that too, that during that conversation most people are well aware that it's not a good fit or not really? I think there was one guy that we hired who was real young. He just wasn't cut out for the job. <laughs> I don't remember who this is. <laughs> and... Um, 
<laughs> so we had one go very early on, yeah. after like a month or so or whatever, and I, I said afterwards I felt like I kicked the puppy. Like, yeah. I, it, was, oh, man. it was real sad, because yeah. he like really wanted to do it, and it was like, that you're just not capable of doing this work, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, that was one where it was a surprise, but there was, I think mean, that was one of the first real heart-to-heart conversations we ever even had, because yeah. it was only like a month in. And, and we're dealing with real people. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not we're all sinners, and yeah, you can feel like you get it, give it to somebody or whatever. We're just real people still, and there's going to be hurt people or people looking for a job. The guy I'm talking about where I made that, that he knew he'd crossed some bridges already that were not satisfactory. Uh, and, and the bridges that bothered me the absolute most was um, hurting whether it's emotional or mockery or whatever, other employees that he should have been a father figure to, if anything, at this point. But also um, telling customers how it's going to be versus listening to customers and making things happen. It ain't hap- and I heard from two different customers that have been longtime friend customers of mine about, about his antics that they did not appreciate. They called me. And I thought, if there's two that call me, there's more that have not, and uh, I can't have him screwing up the people I have committed to serve these years. So um, those those two things are, you know, that's the straw that broke the camel's back, you know. But and I think he knew some of it. And he's apologetic in the moment, you know. But anyway, we'll keep moving on. Um, some people just move on. You know, you wish you had them forever because they're really good and they've got other dreams. They've got other ideas in their head. And we could think of one sales guy that we thought, man, this guy's tearing it up. He was uh, a marketing guy. He was, you know, older than Zach, younger than me. But uh, he was going to go down and open up the market for us in Illinois. And he went down there and it's like, who wants to go to Illinois, you know? But he went down there and he was okay. And and things were happening. And it was like, hey, I got offered this job in Colorado. I got to take it. It's market, you know, it's, it's my thing. And we go, oh, crud, you know. But he wasn't with us for a long, long time. It's just, it's just like some people move on. And that's, you got to, I guess, be okay with that. You know? um, big bumps in, oh, uh, sorry. We are, we are getting too busy. We need uh, developing systems instead of winging it and frustrating one another. The Rockefeller Habits had a, a section on that, a company that really starts to gel. You need to have start to have systems in place on how you're going to deal with things. And um, I'll get to more, more of that in a little bit. But how to place an order, how we place an order around here. There's a way to place an order. We've got we to gotta standardize. How do we... Uh, um, how do we check on an order? You know, what do, what do, you get what I'm saying? And you've got to do it in writing. Um, multiple employees, multiple customers, multiple suppliers, more challenges, big bumps come in the road uh, when you are at this stage, I think. Hard times for hard decisions. April 6, 2012 um, was a... A big time. That whiteboard up there. Did you mount that, Andy, that whiteboard in the garage? Do you remember? I think you had it up there. I don't know. But it was not in there. But we got it in there because we needed some place to sit as a group 
and discussed the problems that we were, we were facing. State of the business meeting. A lot of sales, but expenses had outpaced the income along with the cash flow uh, problem um, that had become an issue. And we, uh, we had the meeting at, you know, on that date. That was like six years into the business, sitting in the Parsonage garage. We got to pray, guys. We got this. Something's got to change. This isn't gonna. We're not gonna make it. And I think one of the one of the factors was maybe one of our customers hadn't been pay, paying us at the time either. Maybe hadn't made payment to us. So we're it was a big chunk of change we we needed, <laughs> you know. But they they weren't ready to pay us or whatever. And um, so it was just really getting down to brass tacks and. Um, we had the big, big garage whiteboard conversation, and I think you were there, Andy, right? I don't remember. Were you still? Okay, maybe. I don't remember time history either, but I think you were Bob Krieger. Um, Zach was. You said it was 2012. I would have been. You would have been. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I, think, I think you were. I think it was. I left in 2015. Okay. Yeah, so you were there. I mean, everybody was there, except for Audrey, who was... You know, I said, Audrey, pray for us. This is this is not uh, looking good. And then in 2017, uh, Ashley's dad, uh, Daryl Croc, he was a accountant. I don't know what they call him. There's a what's the technical name, Jeremy? Do you know? Is a controller? I don't know. Who's the person who's the money things? Okay, I think he's that for a, like a corporation in Michigan and they own a couple places in different parts of the United States. And, we, and he's more than willing. He's a very gracious man, more than willing to take time. Can you look at our books? We, gotta, we don't know what, the, what we're doing. We're figure, trying to figure this out um, because we're dying on the vine. We were shriveling. We had like over 20-some employees at this point, you know, and so we're starting to shrivel, and we're, we don't know why. You know, how can we put our, our hands around this thing? And uh, so... Um, he gave it time, and he gave us four basic rules, and um, he says you raise prices is one way. You got to have more money with these people. You got to have more money. You're, you need you need more income. Raise prices is one way. Sell the same amount, you get more money. Or he says uh, get product from suppliers at less cost. Is that possible? <laughs> is it even possible? We thought to ourselves, right? Uh, or uh, let some employees go or pay them less. Hmm. Okay. And then finally, sell more. It, it was crisp, clear, and concrete. And I think we applied every one of those things to one extent or the next. And, cu- and suppliers sold us things at less price. We told them, we're, we're in a pinch, man. Can, is there any way we can work out a better price? They, they sold us things at less price. We did raise their prices, and um, and I, I think, I don't know if we let employees go or if we worked on pay or didn't give raises, or I, I don't remember what. Oh, but also probably the health insurance. Is that when we made the, in the sharing the cost of health insurance? We, we just were, we were footing the whole bill. Now it was like a twenty-five, seventy-five deal, and you know some of those kinds of. We also one thing that wasn't on the list here, but that was very helpful for us is we changed our payment terms. Oh, we changed yeah. our payment terms. Um, 
started demanding 25% down up front to help with cash flow, and then we started more actively riding on the back end to make sure if anyone was past like 40 days that we, they were getting emails or calls from us to get their payment in. Those, that combination really helped the cash flow side of things, just making sure there was more liquidity, more, more money on hand to do what we needed. Yeah, because you're putting money out when you're buying lock hardware, right? You order $10,000, $12,000 worth of lock hardware, put it in someone's building, you got to pay your, your supplier, but you're not getting paid maybe for 30 days normal from the person you put it in for. I, I, we're grateful with our company. A lot of, a lot of our customers are government-type um, school districts or they're, they're county government, city government, uh, so, and corporate. And, I mean, they're, they're people that are going to pay their bills. If, if they go down... Everyone's going down. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, there's occasions where someone's late on pay um, for whatever reason, and you've got to write it a little bit more. I can't imagine. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's, it's easy. Maybe everybody pays their bills right away in the residential market. But With the hospital, we got even snowfall for them. Okay. Because you knew you were going to get the money. Yeah. It just. Good for it, but yeah. I think they just got so behind with all the places they bought, they couldn't keep up. Yeah. All right. And some of the big places here that are going to have a high leverage of suppliers because they know that you're going to stay there because it's a big enough account that you're not going to turn away and you've said you did for a while. So you're just walking away from them. Right, right, right. Or, yes, so uh, John Deere will say, you're making our blades or something like that, and we're not paying you right away. Or I've noticed also companies saying, we're going to pay you less next year. Well, what, what they do a lot of times is they'll bring in another supplier and have them to compete. parallel with the one supplier. Even though it's not feasible for them to make the product that serves the cost, and they'll drive their supplier's price down. Right, right. You know, Yeah, I think that's why things disappear from the Costco shelves once in a while is because <laughs> you know, they, they weren't getting a good enough price. Some things I liked buying at Costco, by the way. Uh, but, uh, but, I mean, that comes around even for the big businesses because right now they're having trouble with suppliers meeting demand because they've lost some suppliers that were very important. Well, important and reliable for them in the past because they just drove them away and they couldn't. Yeah, it has a eating cost. And it, it makes sense to say, see what their comp, the suppliers are out there. If there's somebody coming along that's really got a better price, I mean, it's not just price that matters. You got to feel like you can depend on them to do what they say they're going to do in the time they're going to say you're going to do it. But I mean, sometimes suppliers will just like let your your increases increase and. You don't know it. You just trust them. But. Yeah, they both play the game because, like, when we develop a product, too, um, the first the first order quantity for the research and development or the right. prototype stuff is like spot on. It meets every oh. tolerance. Oh, right. It meets every criteria that they need. All of a sudden, goes into production. Now the the suppliers figuring out 
where do we cut costs to get our profit, to get our, mm. you know, so that that product changes mm. quality-wise or right. somehow it does. Yeah. Well, even to make them money. I'm going to spit out a thousand of these now. I can't imagine it. You mentioned the perfect tolerances that they provided you on day right. one. The 10 weren't perfect, but now you got a thousand of them and they don't fit. So. Mm. Um, okay, so uh, that was a that was a, a godsend. His advice was just huge, and it wasn't. I guess if you step back and had more of a business mind, you'd say those things. Well, we got to either raise prices or buy things less expensive, you know, or sell more or fire some people. But you know, I'm just trying to make it happen. <laughs> you know? So I. Uh, you learn, and um, one of the things that I think is highly important that you do is not only you pray in those situations and you have discussions with other people who might, you know, know something, even your own people, and that you learn, okay? When you're going through those trials, even with a toxic person in your company, right, take notes. You know, what is God teaching me about this? Start, start a journal, and I think those are the most beneficial times for me when I think, okay, I got to be right with God. I got to feel like he's still covering me, right? So what's, why is this happening? What, what can I learn from it? What, how can we keep from repeating it again, you know? And I, I think that some of the, my, my sweetest times uh, of internal trusting and journal taking were in some of these hard business times when you got a bunch of people depending on you, customers, employees, whatever else. And you don't want to fail. I mean, I, didn't want to, I don't want to fail. It, what we put our, our hands to since 2006, you know, and prior, listening to books and all this going. So, question real quick. Um, well, I want to ask the question. He is no longer dependent on his own, uh, no longer dependent but on his own. This is where the company is. I feel pretty much right now um, I'm an important part of the company on the sales side, I, I believe, right now, but th- things are happening. Things are happening, but we need systems still to keep from blowing it, especially now. Verbal communication is a great thing. We are people, after all. So, so often people want to do things with text, emails, and voicemail messages they don't do a lot of interacting with people uh, but put it in writing you know anything that you want to make sure happens whether it's an order being placed um, document it put it in writing even if it's a text I'm not a text an email sent text message some way that it's just not well I told Zach we needed that <laughs> okay are you sure you told Zach? It's easy to say, I told Zach, you know, or I, I told you, remember when we discussed this? Oh, you mean when we sat for lunch and you told me about these things, you thought I was going to take that as an order into the office with me? You know, so put it in writing and, and things get, get sweeter. But verbal communication is important. For communication and tracking in the office, we've got QuickBooks. We like hover around QuickBooks. That's like a source of making sense of what we're doing. But there's also uh, our own self-developed processes. Um, Lydia has played a part in developing some of those processes. Um, she couldn't be here today, 
So uh, I would, I'd hope that she'd chime in a little on this. But basically, we need communication. We need to be able to communicate. And to do it in some kind of written form is, is very helpful. We've got communication that takes place uh, in the field between sales, for sales pur- purposes, and we've got Insightly as our contact management software. All customer names, dates, phone, phone numbers, addresses, notes of things we did there, all the different contact people that are at an account. I mean, we go to an account, um, Align Energy, uh, for instance, and we've probably got 12 names of different contact people that we deal with or have dealt with that we, we need to keep record of. They're not all going to be in QuickBooks, but they've got to be somewhere. So Insightly is the nice salesman, and the office relies on it as well. I don't know if technicians rely on Insightly at all, but um, so, so communication uh, and then paperwork, lock schedules, schematics, all this, this different type of stuff. Tracking the database of customers is where, uh, and activities is where Insightly has been greatly helpful. But there's many different types of contact management softwares. So when you were with Best, did you look at current file for school districts and contact names? And- we actually went to, um, uh, I started using I, the software that came out, Daytimer came out with the software. So I had Daytimer as, a, as my carry-around note-taking, calendar-making uh, device or book, and in the back of it I had a printout of customer names and stuff. I never dealt just with the um, card files myself. But now I use Insightly, and I use Google Tasks, hugely important, helpful to me. You can have different categories, home, business, church, Google Tasks is great, and then uh, keeping my calendar in Google because it syncs with your phone, your, your laptop, your desktop. Those two things are huge for me. Um, in, in the field for, for service communication, we use a product called Service Fusion, and, um, and then there's paperwork. Zach, what's the Service Fusion give them? give you the capability of... So it's, it's for um, service-type work. So it gives you uh, where you're going, when you got to be there, who's going with you, contact information for the end user, um, documentation. So we actually put a copy of the sales order with a different mask on it called a work order, which doesn't show the pricing, but it shows all the items. That'll go in there. If it's a big enough project we have, like if it's a camera project, we try to include the maps of where the cameras go um, and the field of view. Um, if it's... Uh, Hard access or a door harbor job, we have custom schedule documents that show, trying to do that show entrances and what goes on each entrance is the idea, where the cores and keys go and that kind of thing. If it's a really small job, it's usually just a work order. In service duty. Yeah. Yeah. I, you don't have to be in business very long, I don't care what you're doing, to realize how important service is. You know, follow up, follow through. It's so important to have good service. Yeah. And it's, it's hard uh, to, it's not hard with 10 customers, but if you've got 1,000 customers and, uh, and you don't have a system in place to make sure you're getting these guys' needs met, um, I think one of our challenges right now, especially with the delays of things, is our customer who's waiting on a project that they know we got the order, they know we're acting on it, we'll get back to you, but it seemed like they've been waiting forever and they haven't heard anything. So we, this is one we more recently discussed. How do we red flag either in the time period or whatever that we're communicating? We're still on it, <laughs> you know, just so they can feel like 
you know, they haven't been forgotten. But we're like eight to ten weeks out. If you placed an order for an install of something today, you're not going to see it for two months for sure. So that's the that's our environment. Yeah, I think that's ahead of most places because a lot of places we're talking a year or two or something. Oh, yeah. The bigger thing, yeah. On park delays and things like that. Vehicles, you know, Ford, GM, Toyota. Yeah, I got some um, questions from Verhaegs, and it took like six months before I even got it. Really? And that's all delayed? Delayed? Yeah. And they said that like recliners were like lazy boys, I think Al said was like not till November on some of them. Uh, moving on, uh, between sales and service, I, I think this is something that we need improvement on. Um, uh, th there's inter interfacing that takes place paperwork-wise, but a lot of times the salespeople are doing their thing. They're putting an order and they're moving on, and the service guys, they'll get the uh, order. i got to put this in today, and they'll have it, and it won't always be perfect. It won't always make sense at times. Um, but, Matt, before you laugh too much, some service techs don't even print out what the order is. They're just going to wing it, okay? Not saying speaking to you at all but um so i mean but this is a, something that that we need uh, as a company to communicate if for no other reason than say learn we learn something about it and we learn that we're just people that are trying to do our best both ways and uh um but that that's something i think we could improve as a company um with customers and suppliers, we got purchase orders that take place. Uh, we have a good relationship with most of our suppliers. We pay our bills. Uh, we've learned which ones we like to work with and which ones are, are hard to work with. And sometimes you just got to put up with the hard-to-work-with kind. These days, there are many things I don't know how to do. Okay, Remember, I started with all the hats pretty much on my head. Uh, but I don't know how to do many things in this company right now. I don't even know how to get the service fusion. I don't even know how to use it. I don't even know where it is. I don't care. You know, I mean, part of me feels like naked that way, but I had to, I've had to realize that this, this is a grown independent company, and I'm just a part of it, and, and that's fine for me. Um, There are things people do that I never did, okay? When we first started the thing, when it was newborn, I knew everything that had to happen, and I touched everything, right? Except for maybe putting in a bunch of locks, Andy or Tom or somebody did that. But uh, there are things that we've incorporated in the company that didn't come from me. came from Zach or Lydia or somebody else had a great idea and makes sense. Let's do it. Um, this was a biggie. Not that the coffee mug's a biggie. I think you guys got these in the past, but you get to a point, and maybe this should have happened right away, but you, we got to a point with the business where we started going, who are we? You know, I mean, what does God want us to be and to do? What is the, what is the message that, of what we do? And, and there was a, there was a, uh, course or a book that I thought was very good and it was done uh, by you remember the name of that book Zach um, story something story uh, story about 
the story? No, um, story we brand. Story brand, brand. right. Yeah. And, and it really got to the point of what do you do? How can you put it into us uh, a, a saying, you know, so people know? And, and I think this is the one we decided was best for us, was secure your buildings, protect your people. And, and we put it on business cards, you know, new ones we've created. We're trying to put it on different things because that's the message we want to get across because it covers not only locks and doors but card access and video camera, security systems even. So, um, but sometimes it takes a while to, to really get your feet on the ground and you go, who am I? You know, and, and uh, I think that was important. How is this helping Christ's kingdom? Customers, employees, competitors, suppliers. Am I living in such a way? Are we operating this business in such a way that um, we are doing things according to his way? Okay, I had to learn a lot uh, on the sales side of things, of approaches that I, I took as a salesman in my earlier days that I think are sinful now. I look back and I think, that wasn't the right way to go about that, you know? And, and I've seen it in other salespeople, where, one example, uh, them poisoning the well about their competition. Just introducing little thoughts, little, you know, things like, you sh- you're going to work with them, huh? All right, well, uh, you know. And you just, you, you, you want a little doubt in, and I'm not, this is not what I'm saying. This is maybe what I used to do. I definitely know people who do this. To put a little doubt in the customer's mind about the competition so that they go, hmm, maybe I don't want to work with that company, I should probably work with your company, you know, that's BS, that, that's just not right, and, uh, and yet it's a common tactic by a sinful salesperson, uh, could you be true in what you're saying, sure you could, but what's your motive, I mean, it might be accurate to say that, but what's your motive, just be, be what God wants you to be, and, and, and take it from there. I have found more peace um, at the prospect now of losing a customer. Okay, I got one customer right now that I came rushing when they gave us an open door because it's a big customer, a school district, to provide doors, to provide locks, to do whatever they wanted me to do. But <clears throat> we got a, a recent scenario, and part of it's them, themselves, they, self-induced issues. But our supplier couldn't get us things communication-wise. It couldn't get us things in a timely manner to help our customer solve this issue that they wanted solved. And this customer is a school district. Happens to be very much, when are you going to get this done? You told me you were going to do it. Okay, is it going to be done tomorrow? You know, that kind of mentality. So some customers you don't always want either, but um, I'm, I was aiming to, to please and to serve them. And it got to a point, it was so frustrating that they... One of the higher-ups in this comp, uh, school district said, we feel like we're being taken advantage of, to me, in an email. And I thought, listen, I said, last thing we're doing is taking advantage of you. That's, that's not our goal at all. He goes, well, well you, you thought you'd have a, a two texts down to put in three doors and show our guys and so on. They kicked us out at 2 p.m. because they had vacation or whatever. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of rhymes and reasons for what happened. But uh, I said, listen, he goes, so I don't think we should pay you for, for that third door and, and so on, you know, being install time and stuff. And I ended up saying, okay, listen, I said the guy's name, I won't say it. I said, you pay us what you feel is fair. Because I'm thinking, 
I mean, I'm not fighting this. You don't go toe-to-toe with your customer. You basically are losing that, that deal. Um, you pay what you feel is fair. They're going to pay a certain amount. But if you felt like there should be a little smidged off of this or that, we have been down there multiple times delivering things, doing things un, un, uncalled for to serve them. But in the end, you know, a jaundice eyes always sees yellow or whatever that phrase is. So it could be that because of our supplier relationship, we are who we are today. And this is the thing I'm getting at. We are who we are right now. And if I can't meet that customer's need, I got to be okay with that. I mean, because we are who we are. I just want to be as upright as we can and in the moment and try to improve in time. But this is who we are today. Maybe somebody can serve him better. I, I don't know. I found comfort in that. I found comfort in losing. Uh, if I lose to the competition, even if they're saying ill things about me or whatever, us, or planting those seeds of uh, doubt, God's got to have our back on it. I got to be okay with it. I mean, we're going to just, we're going to be like Apple. One of the best books ever, uh, The Infinite Game. He says, Apple was different than Microsoft. He, he explored both companies. He says, Apple, they took this approach. How do we become better? How do we do things the way a customer wants them to be done? How do we excel? He says, Microsoft, when he, when he rode with them, their approach was, how do we beat Apple? How do we always stay ahead of them? How do we, you know, how do we come out with something better? They were driven by what their customers were doing. Apple was superior. It was driven for the higher cause, the infinite game. Whether we win or lose, we just want to be better. And I thought that is a, a great lesson, greatly comf- comforted by that. And if, if we lose an employee that we thought was key, God's in control. I, and we just got to be willing to say, well, who's next? Who's next? Or are we supposed to be smaller? I mean, that's always a possibility. Maybe we're not supposed to do all the things we're doing. Okay. I, I always hold open this. You know, you might really be screwing up in your life with God. You might just really be screwing up, and he may have to judge you. And this might be one of the ways he judges you. Always, always keep your nose clean the best of your ability with the Lord. Because I'll tell you what, I know what I'd go after if I needed to prove something to you and I was your God. You know, I'd start, I'd start sticking holes in your bag so the grain would fall out, right? And I'd show you in time, you need me. You better get this figured out. And, and so I always, I always hold that as a possibility. God knows who we are. We must answer to him. So moving quickly through this, how can we do things better Important question. I think it should always be in our minds. I think it was Apple's goal. What could go wrong? Uh, the fella who wrote this book, The Ultimate Blueprint for Inf- Insanely Successful Business, Keith Cunningham. Uh, Zach hates the title of that book, but uh, great. He loves the book. Keith Cunningham is a very sober business guy. He'll make you ask questions and think about things that, Wow. Yeah, he really gets it. He knows what this is about on the dollars and cents sides of things. Um, will we grow into new opportunities? We, we're into things right now. Andy's kind of pulled us into cameras a little bit when, when he was with us, but um, we're into cameras and access control huge now, where um, 
then it was a part of the business. Now it's probably the, the bigger part of the business. And door entrances we never did when Andy was with. Did we? No, we were just looking at door replacements. Uh, but now we're into that in a big way too. So um, Consider the blessings of God, and I've determined to bring the first fruits to him. Does a company tithe from its profits is a question I've asked out loud. Right now, all the company um, profits come through our checking account, Tracy and, my, uh, and mine. So it's like a, an income to us. Um, but I do think you need to uh, tithe. You need to recognize God in the profitability of your business, whatever that looks like. And, and I think it's different probably between public and private. I'm not even pretending to answer questions for a public company. <laughs> but um, for, as for me and my house. Um, but there's also this need, and this is a tension we've had and we've discussed. If we're tithing, what about the company putting away money for future need? You know, okay, because there are needs. Maybe you need to add a, an addition onto the to the building, or maybe you need to, uh, uh, whatever the case may be. Um, what about that? And, and the whole concept of retained earnings. What what would you say again is retained earnings? Zach, that's just like the, in my mind, it's just like the, the equivalent of your personal savings. You're just not spending all your money, so you're keeping some of your profit in your checkbook or in your savings account for future use. Right. And so that they're, it's important to have a, a well of reserves, right? The uh, the tithe amounts that we come 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 off of is like um, the profit for the year. I mean, the profit for the year, we want ten percent of that to go to God's God's work. Um, the rest, then the rest of the profit could get dumped into whatever retained earnings. Uh, you could go buy a limo. Or, or whatever, Zach's got one on order, but two years from now he'll... <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, how do you build a well of reserves for future company needs? What are retainer? What about also putting 10% of every check into savings for future needs? This is not s- scientific. This bottom book, uh, Profit First, um, by the guy's got a funny last name, uh, Mike Mikalowicz, Mike Mikalowicz, I think it is, uh, what he said he did, because his business was flopping around like a half-dead fish, and he decided, how can this be? Why would this be? He took every check he got in to pay a bill, right, uh, an invoice, like customer, Waniwaki Union, pays their 23000 What he did, and again, I'm not saying this is the way to go, he took 2300 and some dollars of that and stuck it immediately off into company savings. It's not to be touched, okay? The idea is... He's going to pay himself from the profit. He profit first or whatever. He's thinking of his profit first, I think is how he said Because that money's going to get spent up. You'll, you'll end up spending things that you didn't need to spend on or, or think you got a lot of money to just throw around. But you got nothing in, the, in a well of reserve. And um, so he kept doing that. And uh, his, all of a sudden he was having success. Wrote a book on it, you know. And so I don't, I'm not saying this is the accountant's way of doing things. But I started doing it. I decided, listen. Maybe we're going to have to take it out. I'm not going to be all Mike Michalowicz like he was. Maybe I'm going to have to actually pull it back out and use it. But let's start taking on big deposits. I'm going to take 10% and say, let's stick it away in a fund. You know, not a fund. It was a money market, Edward Jones money market, part of the business, right? Um, just to get it out of our 
our visual thing. And I just started doing it, and, and Zach's going, what's this money showing up over here for? <laughs> you know, I said, I, I got a plan. I'm not stealing from the company. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, I just let it let it go and I just kept doing it you know and we made ends meet we paid our bills we actually had more profit you know extra monies in the checking account than normal but I had this little stash going on of this 10 percent of the of the deposit building up on the side I knew we were going to have to pay taxes at the end of the year you know so I knew the money some of it would come out for that but we did all that and we still got a chunk of things that we I consider retained earnings that were growing a well of of, of reserve, and uh, that's been that's been very nice to have. We're not touching it. I'd get my hand slapped if I touched it. But if I disappear someday, and they go, "Where's for sale?" He just left. His wife doesn't know where he is. His son doesn't know where. For sale, have you ever gotten to hear Keith Cunningham speak in person? What's that? Have you ever gotten to hear Keith Cunningham speak in person? I can't remember if it was uh, him that you heard or if you heard the story brand guy. No, story brand guy I heard. Uh, Keith Cunningham, I have, I have uh, heard interviewed a couple times. Yeah. But, yeah. I was at a conference once when he was the main speaker yeah. and um, for the day, for the afternoon. He was the main speaker for the afternoon. And he's got some sort of charisma about him, but it's not like in this, yeah. like... Yeah, I know, flashy. He's, he's not flashy. No, he's not. No, he he's can't, like, hang on every word that he says. He, if anybody gets a chance to hear Keith Cunningham speak, I would yeah. highly recommend it. Well, and, and Zach, and I think Lydia, and maybe Abby now, Calvin, did you read Did you read the that far-right book? I'm going to soon. You're going to. I think these three books, if I were to say, you know, build your business around at some point, I would say these three books are, are the, the best books I would recommend. The E-Myth is a good one, but that, you know, maybe if you haven't started a business just and you're thinking about it, E-Myth might be a good one to start with. That was the one that kicked it off for me. But anyway. I think the E-Myth is really helpful in deciding whether you actually want to start a business or not. Okay. If you just have something you're doing that you like to do, but you need to find a way to do it. Did that, do we have that as part of your homeschool curriculum? Okay, I didn't remember if we had that as part of it. Yeah, very good. Good comment. And that's probably it. I probably listened to that book three times driving, doing sales. You know. The Infinite Game audiobook is really good, too. For whatever reason, you can't get the book in your hands, even just listening to it. Yeah. The other two I haven't read yet, but I've listened to The Infinite Game, and it's read by him. Oh, it's, it's, it's very good. Yeah. And he, he wrote the book, The Infinite Game. I think he was leapfrogging or, 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 or leveraging off a book by someone else on the topic of, a philosophical topic of having an infinite game approach to, to things. Um, so he wrote it more as a sales business kind of a book, but um, it's very good. Anyway, any other thoughts or comments? All right, then let's pray and we'll head out. Thank you, Lord, for this time. I pray it would be beneficial for all of us in the future in some form or fashion. Um, even if it's something we share with somebody else that we know, um, thank you for this group of people, and we ask uh, safety and travels in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming.